0: Today's thoughts are extending some of the conversation from the previous episode, Facing Truth, on the difference between truth and fact, and looking at it applied in a religious sense. This podcast is a rough-around-the-edges attempt at exploring my mind, in hopes that it might inspire you to explore yours. My name is Fontaine, and this is Fox in Thought. Last episode, I explored the difference between truth and fact, especially in the context of internet and information systems, but the idea actually stemmed from a conversation that Daddy and I have been having over the last year or so. He brought it up in the context of spirituality and belief systems, when we may not have fact, but they do often involve a sense of truth. Dad shared that while he was developing as an adult, and as someone who identified as a scientist, he only wanted to consider fact. What could he prove scientifically? If it wasn't fact, he didn't find it as valuable. So many people want to make their beliefs and their truths into fact, which didn't sit well with him. The distinction he drew between fact and truth was that fact is applicable to all people, something objective, whereas truth and belief is oriented toward an individual. His definition was the one that was kind of consistent with the one that I've arrived at. Dad recently wrote an email to his three little ducklings, as he describes as kids, and it was after a Sunday church service. In that email, he expanded on his relationship with religion and spirituality while we, were, while we were just young children. To be honest, my father was never a very religious person to us. We were certainly raised in a religious family and community, but my mom was the primary driver of that. My dad is such a powerful and confident person. Sometimes it was confusing that he let my mom lead so strongly in the area of religion. If I ever turned to dad on Sunday and asked, do I have to go to church? He would respond, whatever your mother says. In other areas of life, it was a bit more of a discussion, but in the realm of religion, he deferred to her. In the email he sent us recently, he shared the tension he sometimes felt with my mom. He said, with y'all as young children, Sarah wanted to raise you as she was raised, pounding in absolute beliefs with little room for reflection and critical thought. This was very painful for me. I felt a little alienated. I wanted you all to be equipped to think and to come to your own conclusions. I had confidence that raised and prepared to be good thinkers, you would come to great conclusions over your lifetime. And those conclusions would be more meaningful to you because you would figure it out and not just accept what someone told you. Now, I appreciate the vulnerability and acknowledgement of his own pain and alienation, something that he had never vocalized before, and that hadn't even occurred to me that he might experience. Perhaps not surprisingly, I prefer my dad's view on spirituality over my mom's, because ultimately the belief comes from within me, not from an external pressure like a person's parent. Most importantly, I wanted space to reflect and challenge the ideas that were put in front of me. I remember very vividly going to Bible study at Stanford where Doubting Thomas came up in that day's lesson. I find Doubting Thomas to be one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. He refuses to believe Jesus' resurrection until he has personal proof, until he puts his fingers in the holes where Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross. Personally, I identify with Thomas. He seems the most rational of Jesus' followers. Now, when I brought this up at the Bible study, no one else was willing to engage with my inquiry. They said, he's an idiot. He should have believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. This sort of reaction was an extreme turnoff for me, that none of my peers wanted to explore Thomas' perspective, but rather immediately classified him as foolish. And I knew, I knew that I didn't want to surround myself with people who don't entertain doubt, disagreement, or inquiry. So during college and after, I didn't surround myself with a traditionally shaped church, but rather found ways to explore faith in other dimensions like nature, reading, and introspection. Although I don't participate in the same way with religion that I did while growing up, I am incredibly grateful for the method of my upbringing. One of the key parts of religion is that it's often overlooked is community. I was always surrounded by a massive web of compassionate people trying to make the world a better place. Whether singing in a choir on Tuesdays, Bible drill on Wednesdays, Sunday school on Sundays, it was a way of getting together with a group of loving people and discussing what you value. And of course, creating a playing field for plenty of gossip and crushing on older boys. Regardless of the religion that people identify with, this ritual of coming together is immense in shaping how people behave in the world. I was always contributing to something bigger than myself, and that gave me meaning. Meaning. Even though my dad felt insecurity for how strongly my mother wanted religion to be in our lives, he's now grateful that it created the context for us to learn and develop in a loving way. I've taken so many parts of that experience and kept them within me, investing in community, trying to understand my own values, serving others. Many people I know prickle at the mention of religion. religion. Brainwashing is what they call it. But the canvas that religion provided for me and those immediately around me was a canvas for learning how to love and how to contribute. What sources in your life are creating that space for you today? Or even what could those spaces be?